And welcome to another edition of the College Well Pack. Checking in on quote-unquote National Signing Day. That's when we're sitting down to record this. Uh, Tyler, should we call this National Signing Day any, uh, considering pretty much everybody signs in December now? Yeah, National Signing Day has kind of lost all of its juice. I mean, I think it's. I think they say like about 80% of players are signing on uh, on early signing day. And I think, I mean, I'd be willing to bet that it was an even higher percentage than that this year. Uh, pretty, I mean, the most uneventful National Signing Day I can remember. Uh, not not a ton going on. No, we basically were waiting on, you know, Terry Bussey, for instance. We were waiting to find out, was he going to Texas A&M? Was he going to LSU? Uh, Dominic McKinley, I think we all knew where he was going. It was just a matter of pen to paper. Ryan Williams going to Alabama, which we all pretty much knew that was going to happen as well. Not a whole lot going on um, as far as the National Signing Day, quote-unquote. I went through 24-7's rankings or their top players, and of the top 247, one at the time that we're sitting down to record this is not signed yet. That, of course, is Amari Williams. Uh, He's committed to Florida State, son of former Minnesota Vikings uh, running back Mo Williams. I think we all know where he's going to go. I think eventually he will sign, but like I said, at the time that we recorded this, that was the only one left. Which brings me to my conversation point I wanted to ask you is, do we need to go, and you know we've had this conversation before, but with the lack of movement on National Signing Day, the second one, do we need to go to where everybody signs at one time? Either you sign in December or we sign in February, but I don't I just don't see the point of continuously having two when we both agree that the calendar for college football absolutely stinks. Yeah, I think I think we're probably moving in that direction um, eventually. And honestly, if there's one that's going to be the casualty there, I think it's going to be uh, the early signing day. You know, I think that, um, you know, that does cause problems like, you know, you want guys early enrolled and stuff. But I think, you know, when you're looking at the issues with the calendar, the transfer portal kind of has to be when it is, you know, that first transfer portal window in December. You can't really get around with changing that because you need these guys on campus enrolled in classes. You know, there are ad drop windows for the spring semester. So you, you kind of have to lock those things up. But yeah, I mean, the, the result is uh, like has been the complete diminishing of the importance of National Signing Day. I mean, you kind of were able to touch on the highlights today in about 20 seconds. Yeah, Terry Bussey was the main one, you know, a five star athlete was committed to A&M, LSU put the pressure on um, when, when uh, you know, with the, the coaching change. But And they, they managed to flip some guys in the wake of the Jimbo Fisher firing, you know, Gabe Relaford, Weston Davis, and obviously Dominic McKinley, who you touched on. But uh, they weren't able to uh, pull Bussy away. He ended up signing with the Aggies. So, yeah, I mean, between that, you know, we had Donovan, Dominic McKinley shoring things up, but he had shut down his recruitment. The same goes for Ryan Williams, like you said, who, you know, a guy that had backed off his commitment to Alabama – uh, when when Nick Saban retired, but you know the new staff with Kalen DeBoer brought him back into the fold. So even the big storylines today were kind of foregone conclusions. What would happen, and there weren't really any major surprises. So yeah, I mean the signing day coups are kind of a thing of the past. But I think as we just look at the overall setup, I mean there's going to have to be some sort of change, and especially with like you said, this has just become completely irrelevant anyway. It really has. It's you know unfortunate that it is that way, but. You know, this is kind of the hand we're dealt, uh, so to speak. 
but you know it speaks to what you know we've talked about i mean i, I think everybody across the landscape has talked about is there needing to fix this calendar and i you know i don't know if it is a quick fix or if it's going to take multiple seasons for them to hash out how it all plays out, but there needs to be changes to the calendar. Um, and, and this speaks to why coaches are leaving, which brings me to my next point. Jeff Hafley, uh, former Boston college head coach left for the NFL, uh, joining the Packers as a defensive coordinator. And this feels like just more bad news for college football. Not to say that, you know, Jeff Hafley was this like great coach and he was making waves at the collegiate level. He was good for what Boston College needed, uh, but it just speaks to these all these coaches who are leaving to take coordinator roles elsewhere. Whether it's you know group of five head coaches jumping to power five coordinator, or you know sitting head coaches in college football taking coordinator roles in the NFL, um, I think that speaks to some of this roster management chaos that that we're talking about here. Yeah, no doubt. And that's something that we've talked about on the show before. I, and I will say, I think with Jeff Halfley, I don't know if he's necessarily like the best example of this, just because, you know, a guy that, first of all, most of his background was in the NFL, you know, a yeah. guy who got this job was previously the Ohio State defensive coordinator, but before that had worked for a while in the NFL. So I think it makes a lot of sense that he wants to go back. I mean, I think a lot of guys that start their careers there and make that foray into college sort of do try to make their way back eventually. I also do think, I mean, it's important to remember this is a guy that entered 2023 on the hot seat, staved it off, but I do think would have gone into 2024 with some pressure. So instead, he's just not. So I think that's an understandable move in a lot of ways. So I, I don't want to just like, you know, paint with a broad brush and say this is representative of growing trends. But I mean, it is like it is representative of growing trends. I mean, look at, you know, another guy in Chip Kelly, who seemingly is interested in every single NFL offensive coordinator opening in this cycle, you know, was interested in the Raiders job, uh, still is interested in the Raiders job, um, you know, was interested in the Washington commander's job, which ultimately went to Cliff Kingsbury, which is, <laughs> you know, that's an interesting, uh, uh, you know, event in and of itself. But I think, you know, it really goes to show you've got a guy sitting at, you know, an upper half big 10 job, you know, wanting to go be an NFL OC. That's not really something you've ever seen before in this sport. So, I mean, again, while there's, you know, certainly reasons you can understand why Halfley would do this in his situation, there's no doubt that it, it, it does, you know, it, it's a concerning trend. I don't think there's any way you could paint this where you're not worried about the brain drain that's happening in the sport. Yeah. And I think, you know, I believe it was Pete Thamel of ESPN that stated that, that happily wanted to return to a, an environment that's all about football. You know, it's not the glad handing it's, you know, having to, you know, kiss the backside of a booster. Um, you know, he can focus more on, football uh, he can focus on his defense with the Packers and they have a front office who handles quote-unquote recruiting right uh in the NFL with free agency draft I mean he's going to have some input um, but it's not the day-to-day -day thing that you're having to do uh at the collegiate level and you know speculation was that this was a large reason why Nick Saban decided to retire when he did, you know, kind of abruptly. It's like, you know what? I'm just, I, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I, and truth be told, I, I don't think that I blame him, but at the same time, you're looking around going, you know, what has to change? And I think uh, for a lot of these head coaches, especially when the month or the calendar turns to December and you're trying to focus on a bowl game and get preparation you're also having to recruit your own players you know for retention purposes 
you're having to recruit people that are in the transfer portal. Oh, yeah, and there's the National Signing Day it, right there in the middle, smack dab in the middle of it. So, you know, I think happily leaving just kind of, like we've said, speaks to to the volatility of the collegiate landscape right now. Yeah, I mean, and co- coaches are becoming more emboldened to, to kind of say this thing directly. I mean, you know, obviously that FAML quote from, from Halfley, I mean, you know, you can take that with a grain of salt, I think. I mean, he, you know, is trying to frame it, it for his own reasons, but but I think that there is certainly some truth to it, you know, and I think, I mean, Billy Napier said something pretty similar today. You know, I was listening to his signing day press conference and, you know, they asked him about the uh, the current NCAA investigation into Florida, the NIL with, with Jaden Rashada. And he basically said that same thing. He's like, I'd like to see the sport get back to, you know, something along the line, I'm paraphrasing, but something along the lines of, you know, where it's more about the players, more about developing them than, you know, all these other things, which, you know, good luck with that. We'll see how that goes. But I mean, it's, it's pretty clear that this is, you know, something that's concerning a lot of coaches. And I think, I mean, I, you know, I think it concerns them not just for themselves, but when they look at their stabs, you know, these guys, you know, these programs have seen guys leave to go be position coaches in the NFL, you know, coordinators and, and you know, position coaches on their own stabs. So I think they're worried about it for their own sanity. And I think they're also worried about it in terms of, you know, having a, you know, steady supply of, of young up and coming assistant coaching uh, coaches in the ranks. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, but let's get to the next point that we have. We're going to circle back to Boston college. Now that Hapley's gone, who are the candidates? Now we've seen reports, uh, even the Columbus dispatch uh, had written that there was a report that Bill O'Brien is expected to take the job at Boston college. But then Pete Thamel, who, you know, is a trusted source when it comes to coaching searches, said that, you know, Boston College at that time hadn't even started their their interview process. Uh, but when you look at the candidates and if you go to collegesportswire.usatoday.com, we have a list of a, ha- a handful of guys. And obviously, Bill O'Brien's going to be right there at the top, a guy who's been in Boston, the Boston area, uh, on multiple stints with the New England Patriots a guy that I think is looking to get back into being a head coach. And, um, you know, he's not, he hasn't really gotten that opportunity since he was fired from the Houston Texans. He's done a couple stints as an assistant offensive coordinator. He's a top guy, but uh, if you're a, if you're a guy looking to go to Boston college, I think it's going to take a special guy because if you look at this job, it's not exactly the most attractive opening uh, in college football. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And and I think, you know, you kind of mentioned the main one, kind of the name we all keep hearing here, which is Bill O'Brien. And it it makes sense. You know, like you said, a lot of time spent in that area, you know, working on the New England Patriots staff. So certainly knows the the sort of the the football culture of that part of the country pretty well. Um, You know, also, I think a guy that I feel like we don't talk about is not we as in the podcast, but just we as fans in general kind of ignore what he did at Penn state in the wake of that scandal, which I mean, really was impressive, I, you know, a debilitating scandal in terms of scholarships and bull bands and all that did a pretty good job riding that ship, you know, got an NFL job out of it. And, and I think, you know, I'm not saying Boston college right now is Penn state circa 2012, but I am saying that it's a tough job and he's shown he can come into a job that doesn't necessarily have, you know, all the advantages of, of you know, that the top programs in a conference are going to have. So that makes sense, I think, for Boston College. You know, some other names, I believe Bruce Feldman uh, put out, you know, Jeff Munkin, the head coach at Army, a guy who has been, you know, for a long time trying to find kind of that next step, obviously kind of held against him the stigma of the, the triple option and the service academies. 
So interesting to see, you know, what could come of that. You know, Paul Chris, another guy that's come up apparently, you know, was an analyst at Texas this this year after, uh, you know, serving as the head coach at Wisconsin. Could be an interesting move. One guy that doesn't sound like is going to be in the mix is Bob Chesney, who was the coach at Holy Cross, took the James Madison job this offseason. Obviously, probably a better job in the uh, in the ACC, but I, I don't think he's going to make that move so soon. But I mean, whoever they end up, you know, going for, like you said, it's not going to be an easy job, you know, even in an ACC that doesn't really have a clear identity moving forward or, or a clear, you know, pecking order beyond like Clemson and Florida State. I, I think that, you know, you're going to come into a job where, you know, it's obviously hard to recruit up north in New England like that. And, you know, it's going to be tough. But I think that if they brought in someone like Bill O'Brien, I'd be really curious to see how he would do. Yeah, that one seems to make the most sense when you look at um, who they can bring in. A guy that knows the area knows it's not going to be an easy job, and that that just you know speaks to you know some of these schools and some of these uh, jobs, especially in the, the most recent round of the coaching carousel. It, some of these were just not attractive jobs, so it was it was almost like you just got to play the hand you're dealt. I know I've said that a few times. Uh, but I, I think Bill O'Brien makes the most sense. I, I like the Jeff Munkin mention. Uh, again, there's the triple option. Uh, what about Air Force's Calhoun? Does Troy Calhoun want to, you know, kind of make that next jump into the power level, um, you know, stepping up from the G5? I mean, he's obviously have a good thing going at Air Force, but again, he's having success at a job that's not necessarily the easiest uh, to have success, and, and his record speaks for itself. Uh, but yes, coaching in the ACC, especially a team up north in the ACC, can't be the easiest uh, to navigate. So, which, which is why we have to say Boston College, as far as least attractive spots, that's probably where I would put them somewhere uh, down the list. Um, let's talk about some some other moves that we haven't really discussed. Now, obviously, we know Jim Harbaugh is no longer at Michigan. He has gone on to the NFL, as we all expected, going to L.A., but he's bringing his defensive coordinator with him, which uh, where does Michigan go uh, with addressing this coordinator position? Obviously not ideal because of all the movement that we've already seen. Yeah, I mean, Jesse Minter was so key to, to what they've been doing. You know, I think did such a good job this year with that unit, and it's going to be a major hire for Sharon Moore, you know, a guy who's – like we've talked about, he's 37, you know, offensive background. This is kind of, you know, this is the kind of hire that's going to make or break, make or break his tenure in Ann Arbor, I think. Um, so, you know, obviously, like you said, it's going to be tough, you know, to, to bring in someone this late in the game, but, um, you know, it's going to be so important. Um, you know, obviously in terms of Minter leaving, I think that was kind of something that people saw coming, you know, Harbaugh, you know, when you look at the staff hires he's made at LA in LA, you know, it's guys he's familiar with for the most part. You know, Minter, before working at Michigan, had previously worked under his brother John uh, with the Ravens. So, you know, knows the family well. You know, Harbaugh just brought in Greg Roman, the uh, the offensive coordinator for the Ravens, to be his OC. So it's pretty clear, you know, he wants to build a staff of guys he knows. And I think, you know, Minter going was something that a lot of people expected to happen. But again, leaves Michigan just with yet another question. And, and, and you know, we've talked about it. We talked about it last week. I think Ohio State's going to be really, really good next year. And, and it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of hire Sharon Moore can make here and if he can kind of keep the defensive success going in year one because that was such a big part of the success they had this year. Yeah, a couple of names that I've seen tossed around. Joe Colon, 
the defensive uh, line coach for the Kansas City Chiefs, who I don't know if you've heard, getting ready for a pretty big game on uh, Sunday. Uh, you might tune in for that one. Uh, Wink Martindale. You know, that that's a, he hasn't been a defensive coordinator at the uh, collegiate level in some time, but those two kind of make sense uh, as far as coming to Michigan. Um, I don't know which one is more likely than the other. Maybe, you know, Colin wants an opportunity to run his own defense, but, um, you know, those are the two of the names that I feel like are the most likely um, to get their shot at, at that job. Yeah, and both, you know, both guys with Harbaugh ties, you know, Wink Martindale, previous defensive coordinator, Joe Cullen had been the defensive line coach there. I'm actually most familiar with Joe Cullen because he was the Jaguars defensive coordinator uh, during the, the one Urban Meyer season and was sort of kind of regarded as, as one of the uh, one of the few adults in the room there. So, you know, kind of came away from a, a pretty disastrous tenure there looking OK, and it's worked out pretty well for his career in the long run. So I think both those guys, I mean, I think an NFL hire makes a lot of sense here, you know. Jesse Minter was a guy that you know he was Vanderbilt's defensive coordinator previously, but had an NFL background before that. I think you probably see a similar blueprint kind of higher here, and obviously either Wink Martindale or Joe Cullen would, would fit that. Yeah, I I think either one. Like I said, you know, you look at it. I mean, it's it's tough to make that kind of move, you know, this late in the game. But yeah, an NFL guy kind of makes sense, um, really. But boils down to how well can they recruit but when when your selling point is working with nfl players and i know uh how to get you to the nfl or what they're looking for at the nfl level um that's a great selling point for for a uh, new coordinator uh but i don't know if you know it, but there's something else going on around the uh, collegiate landscape there's basketball i mean have you heard about this uh, i think I've, of, I, you know i might have heard it mentioned before uh college basketball is they're really, uh, I guess you could say they're deep in conference play, right in the middle of it. Uh, conference play will be getting wrapped up mid, mid-March, mid so there's about a month left in the season. Uh, we talked previously about teams that we kind of expected to make the jump up. Obviously, you talked about Wisconsin was a team that you thought could kind of make that move. Until they fumbled the bag when they went up against Purdue. Yeah, sorry about that, Wisconsin fans. I jinxed y'all on that one. But yeah, yeah, they lost two this week. Actually, they lost at Nebraska first uh, the de- the night that we recorded. I think last week, and then they lost it to uh, obviously Purdue on Sunday. So kind of a rough stretch for them. You know, they're not the only team that's had some struggles recently. Obviously. You know, Kansas coming off a loss to Kansas State, they've really, you know, they're they're like, it's they're a hard team to understand because they're so different playing at home versus on the road. I mean, at home they beat Houston their last time out, and on the road in the last month they've taken losses to UCF, West Virginia, you know, Iowa State, not as bad as the others, but Kansas State. I, I don't know what to make of this team. You know, you you mentioned it to me when we talked off air, but you know, the Big Twelve is just kind of cannibalizing itself right now. It seems. I mean, the best league in the country, but no real clear standout at the moment. Um, yeah, no, you're right. You know, it, it's interesting to me, you know, when you look at Kansas and you talk about like Hunter Dickinson and, and what he can do as far as he's kind of a double-double guy. You know, he can get you 10. He's going to get you double-digit points. He's going to get you double-digit rebounds. But surprisingly enough, when they went up against Kansas State, they got out-rebounded 50-37. to 37. Um, Kansas State was able to get to the free-throw line 10 more times. 
Um, they shot better from the three-point line. I mean, their their field goal percentage is roughly the same. And Kansas State even had more turnovers, but it was just the um, the the personal fouls and you know getting beat on the glass. It really was the difference in Kansas State winning that game in overtime. But yeah, but when you talk about Kansas State at home, Kansas State on the road, completely different teams. Um, you know, but that was a little bit surprising considering what they had just did to um, to Houston on Saturday. Uh, if I don't know if you watched that game, but uh, as I'm watching it, I'm getting ready to turn this game off because second half, Kansas builds like a 19-point lead over Houston, uh, which is a team that's been really good this year, but just absolutely dominated. And then to watch how they played against Kansas State. Uh, I mean, I know it's a rivalry game, and when you play your rival, you can kind of throw it out the window as far as who's what's record. But you'd still expect Kansas to come away with a victory. But for the second straight year, they cannot get a win in Manhattan. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that Kansas at its best is, you know, typical Kansas. Like, it's as good as anyone in the country, good enough to make a deep run in the tournament, certainly. But I do feel like this has been more inconsistency than we're used to seeing from Kansas um, in Big 12 play. So I'm really curious, you know, and, and, you know, in a Big 12 that's hyper competitive and and more competitive than it's even been in past years. When you look at the additions of Houston, of BYU, you know, really good teams in in this conference now. So I'm really curious, you know, what kind of way they're able to close out the season, how they fare in the Big 12 tournament, because, you know, right at this moment, I don't feel very good about their, their tournament chances just because of that inconsistency. Yeah. And we, I mean, you saw it last year, but obviously, you know, Bill Salt had, had his health issues late in the season, um, which he didn't coach. I think the last few games of the big 12 tournament uh, and then didn't coach in the NCAA tournament. Uh, you know, would they have played better or different if they would have had him there? I, that, that I don't know. Uh, but yeah, when you look at the the Big Twelve, I mean Baylor's coming on strong right now. They won three straight, uh, including Tuesday night's win against Texas Tech. Uh, Houston is what they are, and you know Houston's one of the better teams. With um, if you look at like their quad one record, um, you know they're they're showing to be a, a problem. Iowa State, who's already got a victory over Kansas, TCU has looked good at times. Texas Tech looked good early kind of struggling late, but yeah, I mean, they're cannibalizing themselves. The only thing that you do know is that West Virginia and Oklahoma state are bad. That's pretty much the only thing you know about the big 12 right now with kind of the way that they're playing. And then obviously, you know, the teams that we're going to be paying attention to, like you said, in the big 10, we're talking about Purdue. Uh, Obviously we've got the defending champs. UConn look strong again, 21 to two, number one team in the country in both polls. Um, you know, I think if I remember correctly, uh, don't they have the most quad one wins <laughs> in the country or close to it? Yeah, them and them Probably. and Purdue. The Big They're East both eight and two in, in quad yeah. one. So, yeah, Net loves the Big East. So there's it, there's a lot of opportunities to get quad one wins playing in the Big East. Yeah. So I mean, you look at those teams. Um, they're they're gonna they're gonna do what they continue to do and make a deep run. And I, you know. It, it could be a weird March Madness, though. I, I, I have this feeling like we're going to see like this wacky. Well, I guess you could say last year's Final Four was pretty wacky uh, when, you, when you look at outside of UConn, um, San Diego State, Florida Atlantic, Miami. Like 
to me, none of those teams really looked like they were among the best four in the country. Um, so we could see another wacky one. And, you know, it kind of speaks to what we talked about off air about how the transfer portal has seemed to add to the parody of college basketball. And I think that, like, if you were to, like, take a step back and look at the transfer portal, how can this improve a sport? I think it's it's doing wonders for college basketball because it's kind of a night in, night out. You don't know who's going to win. Yeah, fully agree. I mean, we'll, we'll see if this is a trend that continues or if this is just sort of the period of time where we're at right now. But, I mean, the last two seasons, yeah, absolutely. The portal's created an insane amount of parity in college basketball. Um, you know, it's, it's made the product, I think, really interesting. Uh, we got a great tournament last year. I think there's a good chance we'll get a good one this year. And, yeah, like you said, I think basketball is probably the best example – of how the portal can be used, you know, to, you know, to spread the wealth rather than, you know, the rich continue to get richer as is the case in some other sports as we'll get into in just a second. Oh, you mean college baseball, college baseball, the rich get richer. Uh, Let's talk about college baseball. Nice segue there, Tyler. Uh, (laughs) College baseball, preseason baseball poll is out. The USA Today uh, baseball poll came out. Uh, you excited about some college baseball? Oh, you know, I, I have to be excited about some college baseball because I'm a Florida Gators fan, and that's, that's about all we got these days. Uh, yeah, that can uh, that can be tough, uh, being, <laughs> being a Gators fan. But you have to like the fact that they have one of the best players in the country. Um, I know you like to talk about him quite often when, when it comes to baseball. But uh, were you surprised at all to see the defending national champions only come in at number two? Or given what they lost, when we talk about Paul Skeens, when we talk about Dylan Cruz, obviously the two uh, best players in the country at their, well, best pitcher and best offensive player, uh, you know, they leave. But Wake Forest comes in at number one. Shocked at all about that? Not really. I think think the top four, you know, depending on which poll you look at, there's a little bit of of differences. But for the most part, there's maybe the order is different, but there's a consensus that the top four is going in the order of the USA Today coaches poll. The top four was, uh, is, uh, sorry, Wisconsin, Wake Forest, LSU, Florida, Arkansas, which, you know, first of all, teams that we're kind of used to seeing at the top there, you know, some of the better programs in the country year in and year out. This is a really interesting, you know, off season to me though, because all of those teams lose a lot of talent from last year. And they're teams that, you know, looking at, you know, Florida and LSU obviously played for a national title last year. Wake was, uh, you know, just on the cusp of that. Arkansas uh, had a disappointing exit in the regionals, but they were a top five national seed. Great team last year too. I mean, all these guys, all these teams lose a ton. I mean, Florida lost Wyatt Langford, a guy that you're familiar with, you know, the, the Texas Rangers top pick in the draft. LSU lost the top two picks in the draft and Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens uh, flipped the order there. But, um, you know, and in spite of that, because of what I'm talking about with the portal making these, you know, the rich get richer, these teams are all absolutely loaded again in 2024. You know, when you look at, you know, Wake went out and got uh, Chase Burns, one of the top pitchers in the transfer portal from Tennessee. LSU goes and gets, you know, Luke Holman, the Alabama ace, who is the subject of the, the, the betting scandal with that former coach Brad Bohannon. He's now joined LSU and kind of an interesting twist of fate, you know. Florida, not quite on that level portal wise, but they, you know, get Colby Shelton, another really good player from Alabama. And obviously Jack Caglione, as as you mentioned, the preseason favorite to win the golden spikes next year, uh, pitches and uh, really good home run, you know, home run power hitter. So 
I think, you know, a lot of interest with these top teams again, but I mean, to me, it's just, I think we've moved beyond the era of rebuilding in college baseball. I don't think you got to do that. You retool and, you know, you don't really have to take a drop off anymore. Yeah, you really don't. Uh, you know, I thought it was interesting. LSU and, and Wake Forest were separated by four first place votes. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a lot closer than you probably would have thought. Uh, just to run through it, Wake Forest, LSU, Florida, Arkansas, TCU. They're a team that's usually up there. Mm -hmm. Vanderbilt, Oregon State, Tennessee, Clemson, and A&M round out your top 10. Other teams of note, I'm just going to run through this real quick. Texas, 13. Here's what's funny. Duke, North Carolina, North Carolina State, all from the state of North Carolina, and they come in 14, 15, and 16. All right there together. Alabama's up there in the top 20 as well. Uh, my Red Raiders check in at number 22. They're usually in the top 25. They got a. Uh, I really love the job that Tadford is doing out there in Lubbock uh, with that baseball program, and obviously he's producing Major League Baseball talent. Uh, UCLA, Stanford also checking in the top 25. Was there anybody, like, when you looked at it and go, okay, was there anybody missing that you're just like kind of surprised they weren't higher? Um, hmm. Well, I mean, I mean, first, I mean, I'd say one team I'm a little surprised. I mean, maybe not even surprised, but just, you know, intrigued by is Alabama even being ranked at all, you know, yeah. new coaching staff losing a lot to the portal. You know, I, I mentioned two of the guys off the top, their best pitcher, Luke Coleman, their best infielder, Colby Shelton, you know, that's going to be, that's going to be tough to replace. So obviously, you know, Bolster's still pretty high on them. You know, a little surprised to see South Carolina so low as well. You know, a team that's year in and year out, one of the better teams in the uh, in the SEC. You know, same goes for UCLA, a team that, you know, is is routinely among the better teams in the country, sitting outside the top 20 here. They lost um, a pitcher gate jump to LSU. So, I mean, you're, by the way, you're, so yeah, you're seeing guys portal from one very good program to another, you know, as, as high-level contributors for both places. So that's just kind of where the sport of baseball is at to kind of give you a frame of reference. So I want you to put it on record right now. Does the SEC win the national championship again in baseball, or do we get a national championship from outside of the SEC? I'll say, I will say yes, because I think like statistically they probably will. Just when you look at how many good teams they have in the mix at the top. I mean, if I had to like say who I think the best team is at this exact moment, it's probably Wake Forest. I mean, they had an absolutely unreal off season, uh, really nice portal class and stuff. So, I mean, I, that's probably my team. That's my favorite, but like, I'll take the, I'll take, you know, Florida, LSU, Arkansas, Tennessee, and A&M who both had really good portal classes too. I think I'll take them versus the field there. I'll take the field. You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm willing to take the field. I mean, obviously Wake Forest up there at the top. TCU's got a good program. Uh, Oregon State, they're pretty good. Um, is the Pac-12 still a thing? I guess it is at this point. Um, yeah, for one, yeah, one more really awkward, uh, awkward. Year. One more, yes, one more awkward season left. Uh, you know, Virginia is a, is a good program. Obviously, we talked about the, all the programs in North Carolina um, that obviously are, are looking like they're going to be good this year as well. So give me the field on that one. Tyler's going to take the SEC. What a shocker, SEC homer. Such I am, right. I am a noted. I can't even argue. I'm a noted SEC homer. Yeah, we, we know it. All right, but that's going to do it for this edition of the College 12-Pack. We'll check back next week. But uh, for Tyler and Patrick. Thank you.